Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you brought your very good plan to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the powers of darkness could not prevent it. Please help us now as we look into your word and we look more into this Christmas story. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And perhaps you've noticed, you've uh, maybe looked at your bulletin and seen the sermon passage that we're going to look at today, Revelation 12. Um, why did I pick Revelation 12 the, uh, the week before Christmas to preach from? Maybe I lost a bet. Um, <laughs> uh, in the church I went to when I was in Illinois, um, there were two co-pastors there, two senior pastors, and they had a bet one Sunday, and the uh, one, one's favorite football team was playing the other's favorite football team, and the loser of the bet uh, had to wear the other team's jersey the next Sunday at church. So the, the pastor who happened to be preaching that Sunday, he lost the bet, so he was wearing the, the jersey of his rival's team. Uh, so is that what happened for me? Maybe I lost a bet and some other pastor said, well, you have to preach from Revelation 12 on Christmas. That's, <laughs> oh, no, that, that, that's not how this happened. Um, or maybe after 10 years, almost 10 years of preaching, maybe I've just run out of stuff to say at Christmas and maybe I just thought that I should find the weirdest passage I could to preach on at Christmas time. Well, that's not e- it either because if that were the case, I probably would have picked one of the Old Testament passages on leprosy or something. So, Merry Christmas. Let's talk about leprosy. (laughs) Well, no, that's not the reason either. Um, If you're new to Cornerstone, we walked through the entire book of Revelation earlier this year. It took us almost nine months, 31 sermons, and we walked through the entire book. Um, And when I preached through Revelation 12, I made the joke that we should add a red dragon to our nativity scene. We have this beautiful nativity scene that we put up every year at Christmas time. And as I was going through Revelation 12, I noticed that, uh, well, we get this behind-the-scenes look at the Christmas story in Revelation 12. And in it, we see that there was a a red dragon. Spiritually speaking, there was a a red dragon there. And I, I said, well, we should add that to our nativity scene. Well, as a quick reminder, um, the book of Revelation was a series of visions given to the Apostle John about what was to come. So he, he was given a behind-the-scenes look at things that were to come. And in chapter 12, John saw a vision that perhaps spans all of human history. And I, and I say perhaps because uh, Revelation 12 is one of the most difficult chapters in Revelation, and Revelation is one of the most difficult books in the Bible. Uh, so I don't have all of the timeline figured out, but it's possible that what we see in Revelation 12 starts before maybe even the creation of the universe and goes all the way to the end times. And in verses 1 through 5 of that chapter, the emphasis is on what happened at Jesus' birth. So our passage today really is a Christmas passage. I'm not making this up. It's not your traditional shepherds or wise men passage. And we couldn't find any Christmas songs that had a red dragon in it. Can you believe that? Uh, That could be maybe one of your claims to fame if you make a song that has a red dragon in it. Um, But this passage does shed some light on some really important things as we consider Christmas. And it has to do with a red dragon. Now, I made that joke about seven months ago when I preached through Revelation 12, and I thought this week, I I can't be the only one who's ever thought of this. Somebody else surely has thought about putting a red dragon in a nativity scene. So I did what we would all do this day and age. I Googled it. I Googled red dragon nativity, and here's what I found. Can you you see that picture up there? There There is a family that does this, and this family said they were taking the advice of another family, and they said, 
Revelation 12 tells us that at the birth of Jesus, there was a red dragon there. So this family puts the red dragon every year in their nativity scene. These are apparently evangelical Christians, and I think it's pretty cool that they do it as a reminder. So all this to say, I don't think I'm crazy for picking Revelation 12. I think there's going to be some really cool stuff in here for us to consider as we think about what really happened and maybe even behind the scenes what happened at Christmas. Okay, so I'm going to read Revelation 12. I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're going to focus mostly on verses 1 through 5 for my sermon, but I am going to mention a couple other things in it, so I'm going to read the whole chapter right now. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head, heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert, where she would be taken care of for a time, times, and half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, before we jump into this passage, let me just say something that should be obvious. In the matchup of a human baby versus a ferocious dragon, the, the smart money... If you're just looking at a human versus a dragon, the smart money is going to be on the dragon, right? If all we look at is the baby and the dragon, it looks really awful. But perhaps the main idea I want you to get from this sermon is that we need to enlarge our picture to include God in it. On our own, we are not stronger than the dragon. If it's just a battle between us in our own power and the devil, we do not have enough power on our own. So my sermon today is not how to train your dragon. We don't do that. 
God is the one who has won the victory, and we trust in his power. And we need to remember his power at work in and around us as we go through the battle that we are in. But all too often, we forget about God's part in this story. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today. But for now, let's, let's look at the story as we see it, especially in verses 1 through 5. And first, let's consider the woman in the first two verses of the chapter. In these verses, the woman appears to be Mary. And I think symbolically, she does represent Mary here. Although, if we're going to consider all of chapter 12, it's probably best to think of the woman as representing all of God's people all throughout the ages as, as we wait for God to protect us. Um, but of course then, as we, as we narrow in on the birth of Jesus, then the, the woman here does represent Mary at that specific time of the birth. But it's also good for us to remember that Jesus isn't just the son of Mary, right? Jesus is also, as it says in the Bible, the son of Adam, and the son of Abraham, and the son of David, and, and so on. He, he is the son of man, sent by God, for us, as a human, 100% human, he didn't give up his divinity, he's still 100% God, but he took on human flesh. But then let's look at who the dragon is in verses 3 through 4. The red dragon here clearly refers to Satan. It says that later on in verse 9. And aside from being called the red dragon and Satan, in this chapter he is also called that ancient serpent, the devil, the accuser, excuse me, the accuser, and the one who leads the whole world astray, or that last one literally means the deceiver. Now, if I were to write a theological paper on where Satan came from, I would probably include Revelation 12 in that paper, because I think there's a description in here of how Satan fell from heaven. So think about it. You, you open up your Bibles, you read the first two chapters of Genesis. Oh, it's very good. God says it's very good. And then you look at chapter 3, and you see the serpent tempting Adam and Eve. Well, where did that serpent come from? Well, now we know in Revelation 12, he's that ancient serpent. And I believe that when it says here in verse 4 that his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth, that that's probably talking about the demons that Satan got to follow him. So there was a rebellion somewhere, possibly even before the world was created, in which Satan rebelled against God and, and convinced a bunch of other angels to come with him. Remember, Satan used to be an angel himself, but he and the demons fell from heaven, and I think Revelation 12 tells us about that. Now, eventually, everything will get set right. But for now, we live in a battle. In fact, in Genesis 3, when Adam, after Adam and Eve sinned, God told us that there would be hostility between the serpent and the woman and between the serpent and the offspring of the woman. Who's the offspring of the woman? Now, you could answer that question and say, well, Jesus is the offspring of the woman. But the Bible also tells us in Galatians 3 that when we are in Christ, we also are the offspring of the woman. So there's this battle then that has been raging ever since Genesis 3. There is an enemy who hates us, and he's given at least six different names in Revelation 12, He's the red dragon. He's the devil. He wants to lead us astray. And we live in the midst of that battle. One day God will totally finish the battle and God will bring his people to live with him in heaven. Satan won't be there and neither will mourning or death or crying or pain. But until then, we live in the midst of a spiritual battle. In fact, Jesus promised us that we would have trouble in this world. And that trouble comes in part because we have an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy. 
So when bad things happen here, please know that part of the reason is that we live in a spiritual battle. In Ephesians 6, it tells us about that spiritual battle. And, and by the way, when I talk about spiritual battle, I like to remind you that it is not rare. I, it, it rubs me the wrong way when, when people talk about spiritual battle as, it's, as if it's something that only happens a couple of times in a person's life. I think that we face evidence of a spiritual battle every single day, that we have an enemy who wants to lead us astray. And it might not always look like stealing or killing or destroying, but it might look like temptation. And we live in the midst of that battle every day, and we disregard it at our own peril. If our enemy is throwing flaming arrows at us, like it says in Ephesians 6, then we should be aware of it, and we should be ready. And like I said earlier, if our picture only includes Satan in it, if we only focus on the attack, and we forget God in the midst of our battle, it can look pretty grim. We're not powerful enough on our own. But we are not on our own. God is with us. So let's remember to enlarge our picture to see God. Now let's take a look specifically at the battle here in Revelation 12 as it happens. I want to put verses 4 and 5 up here now. I want to reread them. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. These verses remind me of what King Herod did when Jesus was born. You you remember that story, right? Let's talk traditional Christmas story now for a while. Okay, let's, let's jump out of Revelation 12. Let's go to Matthew 2 and think about the story there. In Matthew 2, the wise men came to King Herod and they asked King Herod, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because what did they want to do? They wanted to worship him, right? Uh, so King Herod had his scribes figure out where the prophecy was that the king of the Jews would be born. Oh, in Bethlehem. The wise men went there, they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But before they went, King Herod said to the wise men, when you tell him, or when, when you find him, come back and report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But we know that Herod didn't want to worship Jesus, right? Herod wanted to kill Jesus. Herod was king and he didn't want anybody else trying to overtake his throne. But you know the story. The wise men, they found Jesus, but they didn't go back to Herod. Why? Is it because they were so wise that they figured out what Herod really wanted to do? Is that what happened? Is that what Scripture says? No. What does Scripture say? It says, And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. God stepped in. In a battle between a baby and a king, who usually wins that battle? the king. But not this story because God stepped in. But the story wasn't over there because King Herod eventually, it might have taken him a couple years it looks like, but uh, we, we don't know exactly. He realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men. So his next plan was to kill all the young boys age two and under in the area of Bethlehem. And that's what he did. He killed all the young boys there. It is one of the most awful verses in the Bible. It's the the length that King Herod went to to try to protect his own throne. So he killed all the baby boys there. Did his plan work? Did he kill Jesus? No. Why not? Well, do you remember what Scripture says? An angel of the Lord said to Joseph, Get up, 
Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. What happened? God stepped in. So getting back to Revelation 12, it looked really bad. The red dragon was waiting to destroy the baby the moment it was born. But God stepped in. It says in verse 5, her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Now again, without God in the picture, it looks awful. But spiritually speaking, when is God not in the picture? God protects his people, and in Christ there is certainty of victory. Even though things may not go exactly the way that we want them to on earth, we know that there is certainty of victory in Jesus Christ. No red dragon could ever stop God's plan. But let's remember, the dragon does have power. In fact, I want to remind you now of some of the things that the Bible says about Satan's power. It says in the Bible that he can blind the minds of unbelievers. It says that he is at work in those who are disobedient. And it says that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And again, in Revelation 12, 9, it says that he leads the whole world astray. And again, that word means literally that he deceives us. So our enemy, the devil, wants to deceive us. He wants us to narrow our picture and to forget about God in the midst of it. He wants us to be like King Herod and to fight to protect our own little kingdom that we have gained for ourselves. Now, in some ways, this picture in Revelation 12 represents every spiritual battle that we have ever been a part of, any day of your life. God has good plans, like his plan to send his son, born of Mary, to rescue us. But Satan has bad plans to steal and kill and destroy. So a question I have for you, do you ever forget the big picture? Let me just walk through a few scenarios in life where I think that we can forget the bigger picture of what's going on. It's so easy for us to get caught up with life just as we see it that we forget what's really going on behind the scenes. So um, do you ever forget the big picture when difficult times come? It's sad when it happens this way, but when difficult times come, sometimes we forget that we have a good and loving God who wants to strengthen us in the midst of whatever we go through. Maybe we're quick to recognize that there are attacks that come from our enemy, but maybe we're way too slow to remember that God is good in the midst of those. Maybe we dwell on all the bad things that are happening and we forget God's good and gracious promises to us. Does that ever happen to you when difficult times come? You get so caught up with the bad things that you forget about God with you? Or do you ever forget the big picture when life gets busy? Anybody here in a busy season of life as we get ready for the holidays maybe? As you think about your travel plans and the presents that you have to buy and the cookies that you have to bake and the work that you have to get done before you go on a couple of days vacation. This season should be all about Jesus, but sometimes our lives get so busy that we get just focused on the stuff of life. So in in the first one, sometimes we just focus on the bad things in life. But in the second one, sometimes we just focus on what gets us busy. And we forget that God is with us. And that leads me to a third way that we can forget the big picture. Do you ever forget the big picture when life is normal? There's a great temptation here for all of us 
that, that we would fail to see the spiritual forces at work. Now, we can't see them with our eyes, but spiritually, have you learned to see that we are constantly under attack from our enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy? Sometimes our life just gets, gets so normal that all we think about is waking up and eating and going to work or going to school or having time with your family or doing the fun things that you want to do. There's a, a verse in the Bible that talks about the fool and it says of him that in, his, in all his thoughts there's no room for God. Your, does your life ever get that way? That in all your thoughts there's no room for God? You're so busy with your stuff that you forget about God. And then there's one more way that we might forget the big picture. Maybe we forget that there's a spiritual battle at all. Maybe we believe that lie that life that we can see is all the life that there is. When Jesus was born, I'm guessing that Mary and Joseph didn't see a red dragon. But do you know what? He was there. He was there ready to snatch the child up the moment that he was born. Our lives aren't just about the things that we can see, just about the things that we fill our lives with. Everything that we do has spiritual implications, and let's remember that we are in the midst of a spiritual battle. So I want to close my sermon now by reminding you of three things that you can do to enlarge your picture. These four things that we just went through right now, these four questions, are, are ways that we might have our vision narrowed too much either to forget about God or to forget about the spiritual battle that we're in. But I want to close by talking about three things that we can do to enlarge our picture. Okay? The first one has to do with why Jesus came. We are to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now I know that, that many, hopefully most, hopefully all of you, have already received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, but let me just say it again, that if you have not received Jesus, you have not received eternal life. Your sins have not been forgiven. Let me reread verses 10 and 11 of our passage today. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. So salvation has come. Then the next part, For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So there was an enemy who wanted to get us not to receive that salvation. But look at verse 11. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Our salvation comes only in Jesus Christ and only through his blood. Now Jesus didn't die from a dragon attack at his birth. That wasn't God's plan. No, God's plan was for Jesus to live a perfect life and then offer himself as a perfect sacrifice on the cross as an adult. That's what happened. When Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin penalty upon himself, the penalty that we could never have paid off, so that anyone who received Jesus can have complete forgiveness and eternal life. That's who Jesus is. He is our Savior. But if you haven't yet received him, you have not yet overcome. You're still on the wrong side of the battle. But you can give your life to Jesus right now by faith. You can recognize your need to be forgiven of your sins, and you can commit your life to to receive him as Lord, to follow him as your master. And in Jesus, we will overcome. Now, yes, we still wait for the final stages of that victory, but the victory has been promised. 
But until then, there are two other things that we can do. That, that's just the first thing that we should do to enlarge our picture of God, is that, that we need to know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then there's two things from there that we should be doing for the rest of our lives as we wait for the final victory to come. So the number, number two here is worship God. Let me reread for you verse 12a. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. In response to what happened in this battle, and in response to the people who overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ, heaven is told to rejoice. Now, if you were here during the Revelation series that we walked through this year, you know that this was one of the main themes, if not the main theme of the book of Revelation, is worship. So here, specifically, the, the beings in heaven are told to worship. But we see throughout the rest of the book of Revelation that it's not just people in heaven who should worship, that that's what we should be doing right now. And the fact that as we contemplate what's going on in heaven, do you know what's going on in heaven right now? There are angels and elders and living creatures and a whole company of people who've already been redeemed that are praising God. They're singing things to him like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the book of Revelation tells us these things not just so that we can know what goes on in heaven, but to remind us that we should engage in that kind of worship right now as well. I hope you know that God is always worthy of worship, even if you're going through a really horrible time right now. But remember this, the heart that worships God is the heart that stays close to God. When we worship, something amazing happens. Well, for one, God receives glory because he's worthy of it. But think of what else happens. When we lift up our eyes to God to praise him, when we take our eyes off of just the busyness of life or the difficult things of life, and I'm not trying to say that we have to forget about them or pretend we're not there. That's not Christianity. Pre pretending that bad stuff isn't bad is not Christianity. But in the midst of that bad stuff, if we can look our, lift our eyes up to God and worship him, our hearts will be strengthened in the midst of what we're going through. And I so desperately want you all to know that lesson. It's one of the greatest life lessons that you can learn, that in whatever situation you're going through, God is worthy of worship. So if it's a difficult time, go to him in worship and, and ask for him to strengthen your heart. Or if things are really good for you, don't forget God. Don't just accept the good gifts that come from God and forget to worship him. Let's give him praise for all that he is and all that he has done for us. <coughs> Worshiping God. It enlarges our picture. And, and as I've said oftentimes here, worship isn't just the songs we sing. Worship is the lives that we live for God. It's, it's the faith that we show as we go through difficult times. It's the faith, faith that we show as we go through normal times. It's the continual seeking after God that we do. But it's also the praise that we give God, the praise that we give Him as we sing to Him, the praise that we give Him as we tell other people about Him. Let us be people who live our whole lives with an attitude of worship. Whether you're at work, or at school, or at home, or with your friends, or wherever you are, let's be people who worship God. Because think what happens. Again, the whole idea of this sermon today is that sometimes we narrow our picture too much, and we, we either forget about the spiritual realities, or we forget to give glory to God. But when we worship God, our vision of God is expanded, and our hearts are strengthened and God receives glory. It's all good. 
And then the third thing we can do to enlarge our picture is to obey God and to hold on to Jesus. Let me reread verse 17 here. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now that verse might sound like a downer because it tells us that the dragon is making war against God's people. But do you know what? That's just the reality that we live in right now. And we disregard it at our own peril, like I said before. So this is a good reminder that as we go through this battle that we will continue to face in life, that we should obey God and hold on to Jesus. In John 14, 15, Jesus told us that if we love him, we will obey what he commands. So we have a choice in life. We can either go the way that that God wants us to go, obeying him, or we could go some other way. Now, we'll be tempted to go that other way, but think about it. Who is it that wants us to go that other way, and where does that other way lead? If this is the way that God has for us over here, then it's Satan who would deceive us to get us to go that other way, and where does that other way lead? It leads to death. Perhaps the best way then for us to obey God is for us to keep putting ourselves in places where we will hear God's word where we can humbly go before God and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. That's the heart of an overcomer. The heart that keeps on seeking God and keeps on yearning to hear from God. God will tell us what, what the path is. We may sometimes beg God and say, God, please show me what I'm supposed to do. But you know what? If you keep seeking him, he will show you the way that he wants you to go if we will worship him and hold on to the testimony of Jesus like it says there at the end of verse 17. Think about Jesus. He, he kept his word all the way through, even up to and through the point of death. May we be people who hold on to that testimony of Jesus, clinging to him and obeying God's word, being people who worship God at all times. God will win this battle Sometimes we forget God in the midst of the battle. Sometimes we forget that we're even in a battle. We will experience trouble in this world, but in Christ we overcome. You see, the message of Christmas is that God's plan moves forward. Think about that. God had this plan from before the creation of the world to send his son, born of a virgin, to rescue us from our sins. Satan had a plan to stop that the red dragon there to devour the child the moment he was born. It didn't work. It will not work. God's plans will not be stopped. The Christmas story reminds us about that. Jesus came to save us. His very name, Jesus, means the Lord saves. His very name, Emmanuel, means that God is with us. God's plan will not be stopped, not even by a red dragon. I told you earlier about this family that puts a red dragon up in their nativity. Uh, the, the father who put this on the internet said that his girls have started uh, setting the dragon on his back at a distance away from Jesus as a reminder of the victory that God has over Satan. And in Christ, we will overcome. We will be victorious as well. Let's keep walking with Christ but let's remember to enlarge our picture to remember that God is with us and let's do our entire life with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that this battle has been won, that we do have an enemy, but in Christ we overcome. We thank you, Jesus, that you came, 
You were born of a virgin. You lived a perfect life. And you offered your body as a sacrifice for our sins. You offered your blood that we can overcome by your blood. But help us to remember, God, that we are in a battle, that we have an enemy who still wants to steal and kill and destroy and devour and deceive. We pray that we would hold on to Jesus, that we would obey your word, that we would worship you. God, please strengthen us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do our life with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.